Blog Talk Radio. information registration is only forty dollars 
and it's 25 if you're a student. As a matter of fact, if you are a student, I encourage you to contact SSA, Secular Student Alliance. They're giving away travel vouchers. They're, they're working with some of the students to get you there and all of that. So, you know, use that to the best of your ability. Um, they're, you know, they're an excellent organization. Get out there, contact them so that we can move forward because we are really looking forward to meeting you guys. You're going to have um, Dr. Hutchinson there. We're going to have Dr. Penn there, um, you know, Donald Wright, uh, Raina Rose, the one and only Raina Rose from Rose to Reality. We're going to have Minister Meredith Moise. She was on our digital conference in February that she was on a couple of panels, and she is absolutely outstanding. And let's see here. Oh, AJ. You can't forget about AJ. AJ from Be Secular. AJ Johnson, you guys. You know, so it's going to be phenomenal. We're putting together a lot of panels. Daniel uh, Mayette, he's part of Black Skeptics Los Angeles. Frederick, um, Frederick Sparks, he's part of BSLA as well. You know, um, let's see here. Tika. Tika Fleming, Tika Lark Fleming, you know, from Mornings, hold on a second, Morningside Park Chronicle. And so she's going to be there, and they started their new show this past week. Um, Wednesday they had Twitter chat, and Thursday they had the show, and it was an excellent show. I need to send her a note asking about um, one young woman that was on the show and some classes that she's giving, and is it something that she does on a continuous basis, because it's something that I may be interested in. You know, well, I can't even say that because you got to have working hands in order to do any of that stuff. So anyway, I'll ask for some other people that I know that are interested in that um, field, that area of work. Anyway, so, guys, I missed you. I missed you. But, yeah, that conference, Moving Social Justice, is going to be outstanding. You know, you know, we're having a good time you know, getting it all put together, and, you know, it's, it's just absolutely wonderful. You know, I've seen some of the final plans, and, guys, you don't want to miss this. You do not want to miss this. We're going to talk about transphobia and homophobia in the black church. We're going to talk about busting the school-to-prison pipeline, and it's not just high school to, to prison now. They've taken it all the way down to, you know, head start in kindergarten. Have them calling the police on little bitty, you know, four- and five-year-olds because they're saying that they can't control them, and it's just, it's, I mean, we've all seen these stories. It's absolutely horrible. And so we're going to be addressing these issues. These are things that definitely need to be addressed and talked about and deconstructed so we can, you know, understand, you know, not only what the problem is but some solutions. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And, you know, I'm saying, again, you all don't want to miss it. If you want to purchase your tickets, you can go to Eventbrite, put in People of Color Beyond Faith. You can purchase your tickets there. And, you know, it's going to be a really, really good time. You know, we're looking forward to that. We would like to thank everybody who contributed to our fundraiser. Um, we appreciate it. All of that should be going out next week, um, the items. Um, they should be going out next week and the week after. So you should be getting those soon. Um, and we have to send out some notices. So we will be letting you know about that. And so we appreciate it. Um, it's just it's been phenomenal. You know, it's been absolutely phenomenal how all of this has been just kind of falling in place. 
next year the conference will be in Houston, Texas. So I'm telling you again, next year, letting you know a year ahead of time, mid I'm sorry, mid October, we will be in Houston, Texas. So you can start saving up your United Negro Conference funds and get ready. You know, especially those in that region there. You know, we definitely want you all to be a part of it. Um, you'll be the host city. So, you know, we'll be looking forward to meeting you. We'll be looking forward to all of that. And so, you know, I just wanted to, you know, tell you guys how much we appreciate you because we really do. Um, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, People of Color Beyond Faith. And on that YouTube channel, we left all the different um, webcasts up for you so that you can view it at your own leisure. We do understand that there are some people who are not out in the community for whatever reason, and we understand that, but we want you to be able to, you know, watch those videos whenever you want so that you can see that there are people who can relate to you. There are people who understand what you're going through. There are people who've been where you are, and still, we're still where you are. It's just that, you know, um, we're out about some things. And, you know, what's the unfortunate part about, you know, all of that is that, you know, I've seen this happen. There are some families that would accept a person coming out as LGBTQ before coming out as a non-believer, which, you know, I think is a shame. You know, I feel that you should be able to be whoever, whatever you are. But unfortunately, you know, we have a lot of bias um, in this country, and this is why I say it's extremely important that we start, you know, changing the PR for atheists, non-believers, um, free thinkers, secularists, humanists, because it's important. It's extremely important that, you know, we take control of the narrative and we change it and we get out here and, you know, show people that, you know, we are, you know, good people just like everybody else. We just happen to not be faith-based. That's it. You know, um, you know, we volunteer at the food pantry. We volunteer at, you know, homeless shelters. As a matter of fact, part of our social justice project um, is volunteering at, you know, homeless shelters and homeless organizations. As a matter of fact, Chocolate City Skeptics, next week they'll be at a homeless shelter. Um, doing some volunteer work with a homeless foundation, doing some volunteer work. And, you know, we're excited about that. I know we have in Chicago something scheduled for September. As a matter of fact, it's a fundraiser scheduled for September. It's um, a white linen party. So that's taking place the end of September. I'll get that information and put it on my wall but that's taking place, and so, you know, we're really excited about that because that's what it's all about. It's about giving back. It's about, you know, helping people. It's about doing all of those things. And every week on Twitter, under the People of Color Beyond Faith, we have Twitter chat every Thursday, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. And so, you know, um, you know, we talk on the, you know, the Twitter chat. You know, we, we engage in conversation. And one of the, 
you know, points that we made this past Thursday was even if you do not intend or do not want to help people that are not in the secular community as far as social justice is concerned, why aren't we helping people within the secular community with social justice work? There are people in this community that are homeless. That are pe- there are people in this community that are unemployed. There are people in this community that need mental health services. There are people in this community that, you know, have had unfortunate, you know, circumstances, you know, occur. And what is the, you know, secular community doing to help them? Now, there are some secular charities out there. They're few and far between. And information, you know, is hard to find sometimes. But, you know, at least if you don't want to help, you know, with society at large, if you will, with social justice, you know, why aren't you willing to help people that are in the community with social justice? Because, I mean, you know, I'll say this, charity and social justice starts at home. Raina's on with us. Hey, Raina. Okay, she'll talk in a minute anyway. Um, Social justice starts at home. And even if you're not willing to help people that are outside of the secular community, we need to do better about helping people, you know, within the secular community. I remember a few years ago looking through my news feed and seeing a lot of people reaching out because they had lost their jobs, Um, some were in foreclosures, some were homeless, and, I mean, we've even had, you know, um, a couple of instances where people, you know, um, died. You know, um, I know they were running a campaign for a young woman whose husband did a murder-suicide and her children are now orphaned. Um, I know that there was a young woman in the black secular community that, um, you know, that that took her own life. And so um, we have these types of situations, and, I mean, even if, you know, you aren't able to financially contribute, I mean, I know we have project therapy, you know, where, you know, maybe you could sponsor, you know, a few hours for someone to be able to call and talk. You know, a lot of people were affected by these events, and they're still, you know, dealing with the after effects of these events. So, I mean, you know, where is the charity? Where is the caring? Where is the compassion? Where is the understanding? Because if we can't even show that to each other, you know, how are we going to show someone else? I mean, one of the quote-unquote gotcha points that I see a lot of non-believers, you know, making when debating believers is about, you know, their responsibility to, excuse me, their responsibility to go out in the community and assist the community. And, you know, the reason why I bring that up is because you're pointing a finger at the church, but there are still four fingers pointing back at you. What are you doing? So when I hear believers, you know, basically say the same thing to non-believers, what exactly are you doing? And, I mean, it's a very, very valid question. And so, you know, I just, you know, know, implore you to think about these things because, you know, there are people here – with a lot of different, you know, circumstances and, you know, unfortunate, you know, conditions. And it happens. It's not as though it's planned. Sometimes 
you know, it's just life. Life happens. So, you know, we have to think about all of these things um, and take all of that into consideration that there are people out here that need help in the, you know, secular community as well as outside of the secular community. So for me, it doesn't matter if they're in or out of the secular community. I want to help people. So on December 1st, we'll be going back out for World AIDS Day, and we're really, really excited about that. And, you know, there are other activities going on in between. We'll be posting that information. And, again, we're still taking donations. You can send it to the Black Skeptics um, um, address. You can find that on the People of Color Beyond Faith Facebook wall. And you can just send in, you know, school supplies. You can send in soap. You can send in towels, socks, T-shirts, you know, hygiene products, things that people, you know, don't even think about that the homeless may need or even with the school children, you know, with with school supplies. And in some cases, you know, they may need some of the hygiene products as well. I mean, you know, clothing. You just never know what a situation may be. And so in each city we wanted to adopt a school per se and, um, you know, work with that school and give them the supplies so that they can distribute it as needed to the children, because at first we were going to get out the backpacks, but then we kind of thought about it and said, no, it probably would be better because the principal and the vice principal would be better informed as to who really is in need. And plus, throughout the school year, you know, children lose their backpacks. You know, school supplies run out. It's unfortunate, but a lot of teachers actually spend part of their salaries to, you know, assist the children that, you know, that are disadvantaged. And it's wonderful that the teachers are willing to reach out and to assist, but in many cases they're underpaid to begin with. But, you know, that's that's a different story. And there are some people that have been elected to these political offices that tend to believe that teachers make too much. Hmm. You know, talk about motivation. Anyway, moving on. You know, today's show, we're going to talk about the culture of malice, greed, and war. Okay. Hi, Kim. Hey, Raina, how are you? I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't sound so excited now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's not the most, it's not the most, um, I guess, positive topic, you know, but we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, before we get to, you know, the major um, component of this show, and we'll go ahead, you know, the the most major component of the show, we will be dressing what's happening over there in the Gaza Strip with the Israelis and the Palestinians, and we'll even be addressing um, some of the secular responses to that but, you know, there are other things that we wanted to kind of talk about a little bit before we got there because when we talk about a culture of war, we're not only talking about what's happening over in Afghanistan, Iraq, the Gaza. We're also talking about what's happening in this country, um, what happened with Eric Garner, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, you know, what's been happening with them shooting and, you know, putting chokeholds on people and just, 
executing, you know, um, people of color in the street by the police, I consider that as war. Domestic terrorism was happening, you know, in this country. And, you know, we're talking about it. And, see, there are people out here that absolutely try to diminish and offset, you know, the importance of social media. I really do not believe that we would have had um, the verdict of guilty in the Renisha McBride case had Twitter and social media not played part in spreading the information and and getting people's attention and galvanizing people to take action. And for those who aren't familiar with the Renisha McBride um, situation, that was the young woman who had a car crash. I'm just going to summarize it real quick. And she had been out, you know, having some fun with some friends, and she went to somebody's house. She had a car crash now. And she knocked on the door, and she was, you know, wanting help, you know, someone to call the police. And she was disoriented, and she was hurt in a crash. This guy shot her. Mm. Theodore Wafer shot and killed her. Right. And the verdict came back guilty, um, guilty of second-degree murder, which, you know, I was somewhat surprised, especially after the Zimmerman trial. You know, I just lost, I had just lost hope uh, in any type of justice. And they were able, you know, they found him guilty. But, I mean, there was so many holes in his story. So, Raina, did you want to weigh in on that a little bit? Um, I mean, I mean, you pretty much said it. I mean, I mean, I wasn't necessarily shocked that he was um, convicted at all because, you know, unlike unlike Zimmerman and, you know, sort of the ambiguity around the um, stand your ground law, this was a clear case of somebody, you know, looking seeking help and mm-hmm. and being and being shot. You know what I mean? So there wasn't right. really like much of a gray area in this case, you know. Um, you know, short of Renisha McBride showing up with gun in hand, there was really no reason to shoot her through the screen door. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just there's just really no way to excuse that, and I feel like most people, you know, were able to see through that fairly easily. You know, exactly, so. exactly. So, if you want to see an interesting take on this situation, um, in which is talking about Twitter's role, you know, Black Twitter is in their role in the Renisha McBride. You know, you can go out to Huffington Post Live and Mark Lamont Hill hosted um, a panel. So you had Dr. Brittany Cooper, Jamila Lemieux, um, and Treva Lindsay, you know, on that panel. And they really, you know, knocked it out of the park. That was an excellent conversation. So go ahead and check that out. And, you know, you can find out how social media played a major role in keeping that story alive and keeping people, you know, galvanized and motivated to be active and to protest, um, you know, it, it, it matters. Black lives matter. Black women matter. 
So I was very pleased with the verdict there. You know, I've become a little jaded when it comes to the judicial system because there have been so many cases in which, you know, how is the victim, excuse me, you know, how did the victim end up being put on trial? Yeah. And they were trying to do the same thing with that trial as well. You know, they were trying to say she had alcohol and THC in her system and, you know, they were trying to, you know, just paint her as, you know, a troubled person and he had every right to stand his ground. And we have to work on these laws. We have to rally against a lot of these public policies. Um, I posted an article yesterday or the day before, and I was talking about how prisons change the balance of power in America. We'll get to that in a minute, but before we get to that, I want to make sure I don't forget, you know, bring back our girls. Um, Don't forget about those young women in Nigeria. Please don't. Please don't. Um, in in some cases, they've been using the young women as um, suicide bombers, and some they've married off, some they've sold into sex trafficking. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. So don't forget about those young women over in Nigeria. And I know there are some people out there that are saying, you know, why are you all worried about the women over in Nigeria when you have 64,000, you know, black women missing in this country? Well, we worry about them too. You know, why, why is it that we should only focus on what's happening here? We now live in a global economy. What happens over there? you know, does affect us either directly or indirectly in some kind of way here. And it's also called, you know, humanity, Have you know, having compassion and, and love and heart for somebody else. I don't understand why that's so difficult for some people to understand. You know, you can be focused on more than one thing at a time. And speaking of people who were forgotten, you know, release your rudd. You know, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with the story, but that was the eight-year-old little girl from D.C. that just disappeared. Right. You know, March 1st. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, don't forget about her and her family. They were living in a homeless shelter. And, you know, the janitor at that homeless shelter um, was posing as some type of doctor at her school, and he would go get her from school, and, you know, her her mother would let him take her home to his wife and, you know, spend the weekend and um, these types of things. Um, and she's still missing. It's been six months now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they searched all over. You know, they searched the swamps and everything. But there are a lot of people who think that she's still alive and that she's been sold into sex slavery. Exactly, and I believe so, too. She was eight, and we have, you know, unfortunately it's it's underground, um, but we have major, you know, pedophile rings out here. You know, pedophile, febophiles, pederasts, whatever you want to call them. You know, they all mean something different, but, um, you know, we have those rings, and it is a culture, and it's unfortunate that, you know, 
and it's not only, you know, um, children from this country. There are children being sold from other countries that are brought here. So when you have people saying that there is no slavery in the United States, that's not true. Right. So, um, hmm? I said, yeah, it's true. I mean, there was there was a story, well, for one, there was that story that everybody was listening to, I think, um, every there where they were talking about the um the housekeeper or the nanny from hell who wouldn't leave right. remember that story mm-hmm. and it turned out actually that this family had hired her as an illegal immigrant and that they were um essentially paying her in food and clothing right and when she de- and when she, right and when she decided um that she wasn't going for that um, they told her to leave, and she refused. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, because she must have realized that they had as much to lose as she did. And they were all in the media, you know, making out like they were some kind of, like, victims in this situation until it, you know, until the truth came out, you know. Exactly. So. And they had broken several California laws, you know, um, setting that situation up, now they have to use those resources to hire attorneys. And, you know, it was it was interesting. And she was, you know, she was trying to leave, but she didn't want to deal with the press. And right. the press had basically, you know, um, basically took shelter, you know, on the lawn. And so, you know, she couldn't even go outside. And right. so it was just interesting um how that came about but yeah you know we don't want you to forget about these people so you know the young lady that we were talking about her name is relisha rudd r-u-d-d and don't forget about her either so much happening and they haven't even completed the report you -hmm. know about this situation you know they were supposed to review this and make a report and you know they said that you know it's been completed, but it had to be sent to legal to make sure that no privacy is violated. So, you know, I'll be looking for that report this week sometime because, I mean, you know, there were so many policies that were broken in that particular situation. Why did the school not verify the credentials of that man? Why was, you know, he able to walk all out, you know, walk out of the homeless shelter with one of the children? He's the janitor. He didn't bring no kids there. That's not a daycare. Right. You know, how is all of this happening? You know, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Um, there was a young man. This happened yesterday. His name was Mike. Well, they call him Mike Mike. And his name was Michael Brown. And this happened in one of the suburbs outside of St. Louis. But basically he was shot, you know, in the middle of the street nine or ten times by the police. He was 18 years of age, and he was right by his grandmother's house. And the police still have not given a reason for the shooting. They said right. a young man was, you know, unarmed. And now, you know, they have they have to have crowd control. They sent 50, 60 police officers out there because people started running out of their homes and buildings when the police shot the young man. And they started, you know, shouting, kill the police. Right. And this morning, 
they were outside and they were saying, we want answers, no justice, no peace. And there were people that were saying, you know, that the young man wasn't doing anything and that the police officer just shot him. You know, when, when you know, the police officers, when they came out of, out of the building and they saw how the crowd was gathering and, you know, some, some people were, you know, carrying signs that said, you know, stop police terrorism, disarm the police. You know, they're scared now. But, I mean, what are we supposed to do? It's like it's been declared open season on black people and Latino people and, you know, people of color. What are we supposed to do? Because we're at, we're at that breaking point, and people want to fight back. Right. People want to fight back. Right. So, and, and unfortunately, many of us are not familiar with the laws, or we just know a little bit, you know, not enough, but... You know, the thing is, is that whether you know the law or not, you should be able to walk down the street without being, you know, without fearing that the police is going to shoot you. You know, because, I mean, even myself, when I see a police officer, you know, you know, behind me or if I'm walking somewhere and a police car is, you know, driving by and they slow down, I automatically start thinking like, oh, shit, what the fuck? Okay, here we go. Right. You know, and you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way if you if you have some type of verbal confrontation with, you know, someone that's not of color. You shouldn't feel that, you know, when the police are called that you're automatically going to be deemed as guilty and carted off away to to the station. Even when with even when the evidence shows that the other person was in the wrong. You know, you shouldn't be afraid to sit there and have a conversation with someone that's not of color and and, and not fear that they're going to pull out a gun and, and claim that you were acting aggressively. Oh, and Kim, I forget, you forgot this story. This was a really good story. Well, not a good story, but this was, I mean, the, the articles, the articles I read, sorry. But this, mm-hmm. this story was heartbreaking. And it was Which a story one? about, I was getting ready to tell you. Oh, <laughs> this <okay>. story is... <laughs> Of John Crawford, who was in a Target oh. or a Walmart, and he was playing with the toy gun, and he got shot by police officers. Exactly. But yet, but yet white people, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but yet white people can walk around with with real guns, with real weapons, you know what I mean, and not be shot Don't by police it. officers. Right. Fully loaded AK-47s, right. you know, Fully loaded AR-15s and 14s, fully loaded MAC-10s and Tech-9s, walking around Walmart, Target, or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, their pictures are taken and people are applauding. But you see a black kid with a CO2 because, you know, that's all it was. It was an air rifle. That's all it was, CO2. Mm-hmm. And he got shot. And there were people running out of Walmart, you know, um, you know, because they thought he had a real gun. Right. And he was on his cell phone talking and laughing, and he was about to pay for it. It's not like he was going to try to steal it. Right. What's happening? What's happening? Why are they so afraid of people of color? I don't I mean, know. I mean, it's, it's 
so crazy. I mean, that that people would call the the group of people who are outside and, and justifiably angry over this latest shooting, right, would be called an angry mob. But yet you can have a whole a whole group of white people with with guns aimed at ATF agents. You know what I mean? And the White House right. and the Secret Service. Right, and, and and Secret Service have a whole a whole you know, group of white people at that ranch. You know what I mean? Aiming their guns at government officials and police officers, but they but they're just protesters. I couldn't believe that. Right. I was watching T V and they were calling them protesters. They exactly. were clearly being lawless. If that's if there if there's exactly. a definition of lawlessness, that is the definition of lawlessness. That's mob action. It's mob, right. Anybody else would have been arrested for mob action. So anybody else would have been shot. There wouldn't have been any arrests. Exactly. If, if there exactly. was a group of black people down there with guns on the police, on top of the bridge, with, you know, scoped rifles aimed at ATF agents, that whole, we, wouldn't even be, we wouldn't even be talking about them. Because, first of all, they'd be dead. There'd be nothing to talk about. We'd have covered that weeks ago, okay? We'd covered that weeks ago. We'd have talked about them. We'd be like, oh, well, they brought it on themselves, and we'd gone about their business, about our business, because they were black. Exactly. They brought it on themselves. They should have known better. But this group, they still have not done anything about that that um that situation down in uh, Nevada. They still haven't done anything about that. They're still up there camping out, having a big ass, you know, party. You know, <laughs> that's what you know. That that's basically what it is. You know, they they call themselves militias, um, just a number of things. And mm-hmm. you know, these and it's nothing you know, but a gang. It's nothing but exactly. a gang. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's nothing but a white gang. And and when you start calling it that and call it domestic terrorism, which is what it is. Right. You know, um, people, you know, they get angry. And I'm like, why is it that we only get the special names for right. this type of stuff? You know, you know we're called stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I decided, you know, whenever I hear them call, you know, a, a young black person a thug, I'm going to start calling white people domestic terrorists, which is, you know, <laughs> much worse than being a thug. You know, so we're going to start calling them what they are and why it's legal and why it seems to be sanctioned. Right. You know, because this is just it's absolutely horrible. And so let's go, let's talk a little bit about Eric Garner, because I want to make sure we talk about what happened up in New York. And, you know, the medical examiner deemed his death as a homicide, which shocked the shit out of me. But I was really happy about that. You know, because, you know, the police officer clearly used the chokehold. Mm-hmm. You know, they were trying to say no, and that's because they're trying to stay any type of lawsuit, but that's that's a done deal. The, the gentleman that filmed it, you know, that took the video of the situation, he was arrested on, you know, a weapons charge, and then they arrested his wife, and they're harassing his family. And I believe yesterday when you and I were talking about it, you were saying the police were going by their homes and shining the spotlights in the windows, in their bedroom windows. Right, that was, because, the, um, that was the guy who's, who's um, the wife of the man who filmed the incident. 
she was talking to um, some people in the press, talking about how her family has been harassed by police since the incident happened. Yeah, so they were saying that one of that one of the things they were doing is they would ride. They know where she lives, so they ride by her house frequently now, and um, and that at night sometimes what they do is they shine the light directly into her bedroom windows. So. Yeah, and this type of things happen, you know, not only, you know, with this, but I've seen this in corporate America, you know, when you have a person of color and, you know, whether it's something that's happening on the street or, you know, but, I mean, look at what's happening to Barack Obama. Anyway, um, when you have, you know, some righteous, you know, white people that are out here that, you know, want to see equality and they try to help blacks, you know, unfortunately, in some cases, they get penalized, which is why many of them are afraid to speak up and afraid to speak out. With this particular couple that was helping, you know, the um, Garner situation there, they're a Latino couple. And so they're of color as well. Right. And look at how they're being harassed, being arrested. I mean, they're just on a, you know, a witch hunt, if you will, right. because they're angry because they got caught. And this is why people are afraid to speak out. That's why people are afraid to be witnesses. They're afraid to give information to the police. You know, that's where some of this, you know, no snitching shit came from because of this. When the police are nothing but a gang, you know, I bet you if we did a real psychological background check on the ones that are out here shooting people in the street, I bet you they were bullied in school. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I, I just think it's inter- I think it's inter- it's worth noting and, and and interesting to note that um, you know that there are people who are denied, you know, admittance into police academies and and into um, police units because they have IQs that are too high. Yeah, I just think that's worth. I just think that's worth noting, you know. It, and I'll tell you a personal story. I had um, applied for several positions as a police officer, right? Right. Was never hired. And I thought that was interesting, you know, because they they didn't hire me. They did, but I I believe it was because you know what you just said there, you know. It was it's the whole thing. It probably had a, it had probably had um, you know just as much to do with, if not more, to do with the fact that you're black and female. I mean, there's still a lot of you know racial and gender discrimination in um, in hiring, mm-hmm. not just for you know law enforcement, but for also even things like firefighters. You know what I mean? So. That is true. Because I mean, I killed their physical test. Right. You know. Like I said, you know, I can pick up a 200-pound person who I used to be able to. Let me stop. See, I'm still living back in my 20s. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Time has slipped away from me. But, you know, back then, let me make sure I clarify that. Back in my 20s, I was a force to be reckoned with, I tell you. But, um, you know, now, yeah, we're doing good if I can pick up the Sunday paper on some days. But, oh, um well, come on now. You you seen it? You yeah, seen me? I know. I know. I've seen you. I see you in action. But yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a slight exaggeration. You can pick up the newspaper, but yeah, yes, a two hundred person I think would be a, a challenge. 
<laughs> right. Okay. Because so. I'm like, hell, y'all barely got me to walk a block or two without me having to rest. I'm like, yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, hey, age, who your body betrays you. But anyway, um, it's just it's a lot that's been going on. Um, it was a young man that wrote an article about Eric Garner, and I I, I shared it on my wall and on the People of Color wall and a few other places, and it was in the faith perspective section. Um, on the St. Louis Today um, newspaper, you know, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and his name was Kwame Menza. And Mm -hmm. he was right about what was happening, and the title of his article was, Death of Eric Garner Calls for Civil Action, Not Religion. Okay? And so he was talking about what happened, and he said he has no tendency toward the vilification of police as a whole. However, at times I am compelled to take a closer look at policing policies, given the well-documented history of civilian abuses. As a rational skeptic, the latter is important. And so, you know, he was... Uh, oh, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm right there with him. Like, I don't necessarily vilify police in general, but I think that even, I don't, I don't think that we need to focus on individual police officers. I think we need to focus on the institution as a whole. You know what I mean? And what exactly. the origins of that institution are, and whose interests they primarily serve, because they don't necessarily, um, you know, serve the interests of the general public. They're more interested in, in, in most cases, in protecting the interests of the of the very rich and the very powerful if you know exactly. you know and so i think that um you know that is in, that that really the entire our entire justice system needs to be rethought you know what i mean exactly. um you exactly. know and, and especially law yesterday. enforcement sorry go ahead so that's okay. no it was an article yesterday talking about um how the New York Police Department is broken. And I didn't post it on my wall because I hadn't read the whole article, but I'm gonna um pull up those links and I'll post um, them. I got later. one right now that I wanted to share okay. if you don't while you're pulling that one up. Um there's an article mm-hmm. on alternate about um about the frequency with which black men are killed in extrajudicial killings. And they were saying that one black man is killed every 28 hours by police or vigilantes. Wow. Wow. Every 28 wow. hours. Send that to me. Inbox that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that is horrible. That is horrible. And so, I mean, again, this goes back to something that we've been talking to you all about um, for the past few years, you know, about public policies and about, you know, what's happening, you know, in these communities and and how it's being used against us. And this is an excellent segue. Um, Well, I want to finish talking about this article because the young man made a couple of really good points. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. As a rational atheist, I feel those affected need instead an outspoken investigator to clearly show this act of flagrant brutality was unlawful and hold the NYPD monetarily and criminally accountable, not not with marches or prayers, but with political boycott of those in Congress that support the militarization of U.S. police 
officers and the companies that train them. Rather than prayer vigils, I would suggest national forums on and offline that label these kinds of acts by police as constituting a widespread public health concern. The more the police is marginalized as a problem of poor people of color, the more the concern will continue to go on unaddressed. And this is exactly what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And this is what we have been trying to do in our own small way. And, I mean, we, we can do more. We can do more. We can do more because, I mean, once we start putting it out there, more people will become involved and, 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 and play a part and, you know, sit on these panels and start addressing this. But us, as the secular community, right. should be feeding this charge. Right. Do you understand I what I'm saying to you? Oh, yeah, I'm not, not you, Rain. I'm talking to the people. It's like, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, this should be us. Right. This should be us. Right. It will be us. How about that? Right. It will right. be us. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just, it's just uh, upsetting, you know what I mean, to think about. You know, just um, you know the mil the the you know, and especially the militarization of the police. Right. I think is what's most troubling for me. You know, to you know, police have you know more and more and more become increasingly militarized. You know, they have tanks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They have armored exactly. vehicles. Like, can you imagine being a poor person of color? In a in a in a city where you know you're stopped and you're frisked, um, you know where you know police you know you know rough handle you and harass you, and you see others you know harassed you know like that family, you know that that's being harassed solely because somebody took a video, you know what I mean? Right. And the, and to see the police rolling down the street in tanks, you know what I mean? To see police who right. shoot you for for having a toy gun in your hand inside of a store that sells a damn gun, you know exactly. what I mean? I mean exactly. You know, and then people wonder why black people have a mistrust, generally speaking, of of police. You know, exactly. I I am always concerned about dealing with police. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, and it's not, it's not an irrational fear. You know what I mean? It's a very rational fear. I've been harassed by police. I've had, I've had a police officer um, say that he wanted to search my car for drugs, which I don't smoke and I barely drink. Kim knows, you know, I don't smoke. I don't do drugs, you know, and I barely drink. I drink socially, you know, and um, I had, I had an officer you know, want to want to search my car, and this is while I'm, you know, I'm, you know, with the had a raging migraine, and I could barely think. You know, I was just driving to the store to get my medication. You know, and the mm-hmm. officers are acting like I'm high. I'm like, I, I'm not high. This is my prescription. You know, right in my hands that I'm going to get, and I was being harassed. Yeah. So I mean, you have to. Understand that, like, and, and, and you know, it's, it's different in different areas. You know, I have an, I have an uncle, um, you know, who once was harassed by a police officer. And, you know, we learn things as black people to combat these issues, you know. 
um, men in my right. family are often told that, you know, if, you know, if they're being pulled over to dial anyone on their phone, and regardless of this, as, you know, anyone who has a voicemail, because, you know, if what you want is that, is that if something happens, that maybe it'll be recorded. That's right. Right. So that nothing happens to you. These are the things that we learn because we don't know what's going to happen to us. Exactly. 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 And so it's it's just, it's absolutely, you know, um, horrible. And, you know, we're going to talk about in a minute, um, we're going to talk a little bit about racial bias and how the prison systems change the balance of power in America. And it's important that, you know, we hit these two areas up because they do relate to what we've been talking about. Um, but one story that's totally off topic, and I just can't let this go by without saying something about it because it disturbed me yesterday. It's still disturbing me today. I was just really upset about this. This happened in Haywood County, Tennessee, and there was a young a young man, 15-year-old Ryan Brown, and he was outside with his twin brother, and they were playing with the dog, and somebody's stray dog was being aggressive, you know, towards them and their dog. And his twin brother grabbed a pan to shoo away, you know, the loose pit bull and accidentally hit his brother in the head with the pan. It sounds like it was probably a cast iron pan. And young man, Ryan, he died from the injuries because they said something about how the pan had lodged in his brain. Mm. And he was supposed to be, you know, laid to rest this weekend at the family church. But the pastor said to them Wednesday that he was refusing the funeral service because their family, were members of their family, you know, are in the middle of a lawsuit with the church um, because of misappropriation of funds and questioning some of the financial decisions that have been made by the pastors. So, you know, he was claiming that his attorney advised him not to let them have services there. No attorney told him that. He decided that. Because even if they were to have the services at that church, he did not have to be present. That's what you have an assistant pastor, deacons, trustees. That's what you have those people there for. So he he was just being vindictive. So they ended up having the church at a funeral home, and, you know, other churches were, you know, offering, you know, to allow them to, you know, have the services there, but, you know, I, when I talk about the church, I'm very sympathetic towards them, but this was wrong. This was wrong. This is Fredonia Missionary Baptist Church somewhere in the suburbs of Memphis, Tennessee. He was wrong. He was wrong. Right. He's just wrong. And he probably still let those say, I bet you, even though he, there is a lawsuit with certain members of the family. Other members still attend regularly. He don't turn down their money. Right. He don't turn down their services if they're volunteering for things. And for him to do that, this is a 15-year-old baby who probably was attending that church from when he, before he was a twinkle in his daddy's eye, you know, and, and for him for him to turn him away. That, that was just horrible. 
So I, I had to say something about that because that's very, very hurtful. I mean, you know, it wasn't my baby or anybody related to me, but I feel their pain, and I just felt that that was uncalled for. And, you know, you know, two thumbs down for that church. Oh, here we go. We have, um, is this Deborah? Yo, nothing is. How y'all been doing? <laughs> Hi. How are you? I just been listening to y'all, man. <clears throat> but I saw that same thing. I, I mean, you know, that was just, that's disgusting. You know, it's just, you know, but it shows, you know, uh, how low they can go. You know, and we ought to be used to it by now. Yes, it's just, it's unfortunate because, like I said, that was a baby. That was a baby. The pastor didn't have to be at the church. The assistant pastor or the deacons, the trustees, help the ushers. Somebody, I mean, all the pastor has to do is if he's the only one that has keys to the church or know the alarm code, you go in, you open it up, you let, you know, your assistant pastor or whoever, let them sit there, you know, get everything set up, run the service, and then have them call you when the service is over and they've taken a body out and the family has left, then you come back and you lock up your church. Just that simple. Just that Mm -hmm. simple. he shouldn't be the only one that has keys to the church anyway. I mean, what do they do when he goes out of town or on vacation? But anyway, that's something totally different. I would love to see their bylaws. Hmm. Anyway, you know, you know how I get when I go when I start going. Hmm. Anyway, um, you know, there was an article. I'm switching off because I have to leave that alone because I get pissed off every time I think about that. Um, I. I posted an article yesterday, and I posted another one last week. And the one that I posted yesterday, it was talking of, and the one I posted last week was a Stanford study. And this one that I posted this week was based on that study, and it said white people are fine with laws that harm blacks. And it was talking about the futility of fighting criminal justice racism with statistics. And so basically, um, you know, they referred to the study from Stanford that I um, posted last week, and basically it was showing that if certain laws were biased against blacks, which, you know, caused more blacks to be charged with um, crimes and incarcerated more, then whites were for those particular laws, you know, that there, there were biases for that. Um, kind of ties into a New York story. Um, Charing Ball did a story about um, broken windows, and I posted another article yesterday that was talking about broken windows. And so basically, with that, you know, I'll explain a little bit of that, was during the 90s, um, some policies were created and put in force so that people could be charged with just some of the most minor things. I'm sure some of you all aren't aware that you can be given a summons. You can be, you know, charged with spitting on the ground. You know, there are just, you know, minute things like that. And so it has gone up exponentially, the number of people that have been charged and, you know, given summons and misdemeanors and even some cases felonies um, about those types of things. And, Again, people of color have fared the worst under this. And 
um, it was just interesting how that study, I would encourage you guys to go and read the actual study. This is a good article because it breaks it down, but you have to go and read that study. And this is one of the reasons why um, some of these people want Holder, Eric Holder, out of his position because he's showing the disparities in sentencing. He's he's advocating for, you know, um, people that have been incarcerated to get their voting rights back. And, you know, this is what he's doing, and this leads me into the last story, um, you know, how prisons change the balance of power in America. And I know you're saying, how is this tied together? Well, if you pay attention, you'll notice that many of these prisons are built in small, rural, white towns, right? Right. And because how the prison system, you know, is working, the prison industrial complex, you know, there are mainly people of color disproportionately, you know, incarcerated. Well, those towns get to count those prisoners as part of their population, part of the census. Exactly. And it gives those towns more political power. Yet when those same prisoners are released, they don't have the right to vote. That is how it's tied together. And so, um, you know, I want you all to pay attention to this because it gives power. This is why, you know, the Tea Party has risen in power. This is why so many of these people are for all of these policies and laws to incarcerate more and more people besides the fact that – hello? No, I'm here. Okay. Besides the fact that many of these people are invested in companies that, you know, are invested in companies or invested their portfolios portfolios are invested in companies that yield profits and dividends from, you know, um, stocks, you know, in these prisons, you know, because some of these, you know, companies are on the stock exchange, whether you're familiar with that or not. But, you know, it's money to be made. Someone has to make the uniforms, you know, so they're making money from that. Someone has to transport them. So, you know, they buy certain brands. They buy American brand, you know, vehicles. I mean, just just look at what's happening. But this has caused some of the more... Um, rural areas to, you know, become more politically viable because you'll see them protesting the prisons out there until they realize that the prison brings jobs, you know, and prison brings them more political power, which is why some of their mayors and some of the governors, which is why they did on having the prisons built in certain places. You know, there's always a method to the madness, and, you know, it's interesting, this one point here it says, some point to the nearly 2 million people who are now locked up in an American prison, overwhelmingly this nation's poorest, most mentally ill, and least educated citizens, and ponder the moral cost, because they don't care. They don't care. They want more people of color locked up and poor whites. You know, because there are a lot of poor whites incarcerated as well. And and with this particular article, which is titled How Prisons Changed the Balance of Power in America, it talks about how, you know, right after they, you know, signed the Voting Rights Act into law, 
that they signed the Voting Rights, you know, well, the Voting Rights Act. They signed the LEA, which is the Law Enforcement Administration Act. Okay, I want you all to go look that up, L-E-A-A, Law Enforcement Administration Act. And what that was was a piece of legislation that well before crime rates across America hit record highs, it created the bureaucracy and provided the funding that will enable a historically and internationally unparalleled war on crime. So they gave us the Voting Rights Act, but they signed this LEA into law. And what has happened is with this LEA, it took back pretty much all of the rights that we gained with the Voting Rights Act plus some. There are some people, you know, that believe that we are in a better position. No, actually we are not. And what happened when, the, you know, the Supreme Court struck Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act and just opened Pandora's box because now they're getting ready to go after Section 2. Right. And, just, you know, we're telling you all about this. You need to go and you need to see what's happening. Go read the Voting Rights Act. Understand why they are striking down different sections because, you know, poll taxes, literacy requirements, the grandfather clauses, all of that, all of you, pay attention. We need for you all to pay attention, and this is why we get so upset when we do not see any of this addressed by the secular community because we understand, you know, the consequences of these particular actions because they're going after Section 2 next. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Then what are we going to do? Right. What are we going to do? So, I mean, you know, we have racialized mass incarceration. They're trying to get rid of Eric Holder, and that's why they're calling the Affordable Care Act and some of the changes that the Department of Justice have made. That's why they're calling it reparations. I need for you to understand why they're saying, you know, what they're saying. So, you know, um, some of the latter provisions of, of Section 2, you know, um, basically it proved damaging to black freedom, you know, political and otherwise. And so um, and it's talking about how Section 2 allowed for the disenfranchisement of otherwise eligible citizens without affecting representation, you know, if they had participated in rebellion or other crime. The idea here was to keep those who had committed crimes against the union and those who might be in a rebellion against the union from wielding political power in the wake of the Civil War. Hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. you got to read this article, um, and it's talking about Section 2 of the 14th Amendment. It's just it's absolutely amazing, but it's talking about how overnight um, white Southerners began policing African Americans with new zeal and charging them with quote-unquote crimes that had never before been on the books. And within a decade of the Civil War, thousands of African Americans found themselves leased out and locked up on prison plantations and in penitentiaries and how Southern whites, you know, profited from these new laws politically as well as economically. 
by making so many blacks into convicts, white could, whites could then deny them the right to vote under Section 2 without right. undermining their state's census population for the purposes of political representation. A need for you all to pay attention. Right. You know, um, it's just it's interesting. Um, right here is talking about about another clause in, you know, Amendment 13 and how it allowed the continuation of slavery for those who had committed a crime. These same white Southerners were able to force thousands of newly imprisoned black Southerners to work for free under the convict lease system. You all need to listen to me. Pay attention. You're being done legally now. And because, you know, we're challenging the public policies and we're not challenging them hard enough. But because some of these policies are being challenged, this is how, you know, we get the Tea Party. And some of these libertarians, you know, you got a lot of libertarians in the secular community. And I'm trying to get you all to understand what's happening and how some of this is kind of tied in together. And it's just, it's been just absolutely horrible what's been happening. But you need to, you need to, oh, my goodness, you need to read this article. You know, it's going to evolve, but it's important that you all read this article and understand what's happening here. Because, you know, again, a lot of the rights that in, in the games and that we made under the civil rights movement as well as the feminist movement, a lot of pretty much all of it has been rolled back, which is why you see feminism going into its third or fourth wave, whatever they call it now. And this is why, you know, many of us know that we need to have another, another civil rights movement, another phase of it, because all of those rights have been taken away plus some. And this is why you have people like Phil Ferguson, I think that's his last name, from the Doug Dynasty, and, you know, people like that saying that blacks were happier under Jim Crow before the civil rights movement. Girl, you're better than me. I don't even know the full name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that fool's name. I have never seen it. I have I don't know anything about a duck dynasty. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and so I mean I'm just telling people, you know, this is being done on purpose. You know, every one part of this article is said by two thousand six, forty eight out of fifty states listen to me. By two thousand six. Okay? That was eight years ago. 48 out of 50 states, 48 out of 50, that only leaves two. So 48 out of 50 states had passed disenfranchisement laws. Right. And with more than 47 million Americans, a quarter of the adult population, having criminal records by that year, the nation's political process had been fundamentally altered. By 2011... 23.3% of African Americans in Florida, 18.3% of the black population of Wyoming, and 20.4% of African Americans in Virginia were barred from the ballot. 
Now, I didn't know there were many black people in Wyoming. I thought it was only two, but okay. Oh, my gosh. Girl, <laughs> I, thought there, I thought it was zero. <laughs> Except for maybe when it was, like, you know, harvesting time or something, you know. <laughs> right. So, you know, um, you know, it says here that African Americans pay high price for the disfranchisement policies that accompany the nation's war on crime. So did liberal voters in general. So go out and read this. Understand what's happening. Um, Joy Reid from MSNBC did a really good piece on Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and why, you know, the conservatives, the Tea Partiers, people of that nature, why they are going after Section 2. She did a really wonderful job of breaking that down. Look for that. So I just wanted to impress upon you, you know, how all of this works. You know, they call this process prison gerrymandering. And it's overwhelmingly white in Republican areas of the United States that built that built prisons as the war on crime escalated, got more political power, whereas areas of country where policing was particularly concentrated and aggressive, areas in which levels of incarceration were, as a result, staggeringly lost political power. That's the mm-hmm. cities, y'all. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so, you know, um, look all of this up. You know, I I encourage you all to fact-check me. I have no problem with it. Oh, we got a caller on the line, 954. May we ask who's calling? Sure you can. This is Carl. Hey, Carl. Hey, how's everybody doing? (laughs) Good. Did you want to weigh in a little bit here, Carl? Um, you know, I can co-sign on pretty much everything that uh, that that you guys are saying and talking about. Um, I don't know about anyone else. I, you know, we tend to not pay attention when somebody reads statistics. Like if, if Kim was to read these statistics to the public, you know, oftentimes they're like, "Yeah, that's serious," and then they'll walk away from it, you know, not getting anything. I just want folks to take what you're saying and then look at the effects of what you're saying because it's not just, you know, this is not happening in a bubble. Um, because these rights are being taken away, because people are losing these rights or, or surreptitiously, surreptitiously things are, are being put into play to disenfranchise um, um, black people, uh, it's becoming very evident that, you know, they're doing, they're, the consequences are actually very overt. Just look at the last three weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there's Eric Garner's dead, John Crawford's dead. Now we're talking about Michael Brown in, Ohio, in um, St. Louis. These are very overt. I mean, these things are happening not just because, you know, okay, it's bad enough that we've had to live and spend our lives dealing with police brutality and in- intimidation, but guess what? Every time one of these rights get taken away from us, every piece of political power we lose, it's a it's it's giving these guys carte blanche to treat us how they I believe really want to treat us. So exactly. you know, don't write this off. Don't write this off. I mean, you're seeing what it is, man. 
I mean, they're not, they don't, it's getting to the point where every new thing that gets taken away, every every law that gets stripped, or every law that gets neutered, it has a very overt consequence. It's a right. job that you won't get, or a school that your kid can't go to, or, or a neighborhood where you don't have any rights. So, you know, the, 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 the biggest mistake we can make right now for me um, it's 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 those in the power or the powers that be taking rights away and pushing us. You know they're they're moving the goalposts back. You know they're moving us back. Whatever yards we scored, whatever advances we've made, trying to push it right back to you know the starting line. And uh, I would take it very seriously. And also I would take it very seriously as we go into this election season. Anybody who's not trying to change that. Um, they're not getting my vote. Um, they'll be. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're a front runner. I don't care if it's who they, everybody wants to win. They. Won't, I won't be voting for that person if you're not standing out there saying, "Hey, this can't go this way." Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it'd be stupid for anybody to not take this seriously. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, again, there are people that profit from this. You know, the greed aspect. You know, they're profiting politically and economically. And, you know, there is profit in poverty. Mm-hmm. There is profit in disfranchisement. There's profit in all of this. And this is what we're, you know, the, the other component that we're trying to bring to your, you know, to your understanding is, you know, not only are they putting these policies you know, in place, but they're putting them in place in such a way that, you know, either way it goes, they will profit from it while we continue to, you know, live under these circumstances. You know, lives are being destroyed. Um, And I put up a meme yesterday, a picture, in which it was saying that um, using slavery as an excuse is not a good reason, you know, slavery is not a good reason to um, define, you know, what's happening in the black community, the state that we're in. And the young man was saying, basically, you know, well, if you're going to say that blacks can't use slavery as an excuse as to what's happening or the state of our community, how can you explain the state of the white community? Because slavery created that. Right. Many of them achieved and got their way wealth due to indentured servitude. Right. Don't let anybody fool you. Right. So while you're saying that we can't use slavery or colonialism as an excuse, then, you know, looking at these white people, this is how they many of them made their wealth. If we can't use it as an excuse, then they shouldn't be able to profit from it. Take it all away. Put it in a kitty and divide it up equally, but we can't have that, can we? Nope. Nope. Exactly. Nope. Yeah. If, if, if that nonsense pull yourself up, because like, folks have short memory. Privilege gives people a short memory. Um, honestly, it's like you, you, you get to say that because you don't know what it's like. And it's, it's a benefit of not having to know your history or not having to know of history at all. Um, you know, I and, and I, I I take a lot of black people to task on this too because it's upsetting when you know they say that because there's this mindset that ever since slavery ended, 
we didn't do anything to 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 to, to start building our own power, to start building our own communities, to start building our own sense of culture here in America. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I get really exactly. upset when either white or black when white people come with that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps nonsense, or black people come with that, you know, we can't get nothing or we can't get right, it's, it's, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. We got right. After the Civil I mean, any history book, if anyone cares enough to go look for it, any history book will show you where after the Civil War, after Reconstruction, we got our own things. We went and got our own towns. We went and got our own police forces. We had our own banks. We had our own cowboys. We had our own everything. It was the government of the United States. It was lynch mobs. It was the Klan that says, no, we don't want you having that. They took it from us and then instituted, you know, segregation in Jim Crow. So even now, we're, you screwed us once, we went and did what we had to do, and then you screwed us again. So you got to keep in mind, I mean, the, one of our most basic rights, the ability, the ability to vote, the ability to take part in our government, the process of government, we just got that. I mean, the president is older than the Voting Rights Act. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, come on. Let's, let's be real here. It's not, it's not something that it, it's privilege where people can just say that and, and not really take into account what was done. You know, that, that's, that's what's so stupid. And it, it irritates me when white people say it, but it irritates me more when black people go, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. No, it's not. No, it's not right. Exactly. Exactly, and I'm right there with you because, you know, that's been my, you know, when I talk to different people when we had Christopher Everett on the show and we were talking about what happened in Wilmington. I mean, you know, I'm going to just throw some names out there. You had Wilmington, you had Rosewood, you had Tulsa, you know, Black Wall Street. We built those. We built those, and the whites became jealous, and basically they they started lynching people. They took the property. They gave it away. They ran people out of town. Uh, they were killing people, just a number of things. And the issue is we know how to create the wealth. We know how to create our own. We can do that. The problem is how do we keep it? Because, you know, the latest example of all of this was this um, mortgage bust, this last housing issue we had. A lot of wealth that had been created in communities of color were snatched, and nobody went to jail. And people aren't paying attention because who's buying up all that property now? Corporations are buying up all that property. And now they're becoming yeah. the slum force, if you will. So a lot of our wealth was snatched yet again within the past 10 years. And, you know, I need people to pay attention and see what was happening. That's why people of color were disproportionately getting, you know, um, the loans that had the higher interest rates. Even if they had the same credit score as the white person sitting next to them, they were getting, you know, get, getting these predatory loans. And so... Snatched a lot of wealth out of our community yet again. Um, people, some of the older people, were having their homes taken away that had been paid off 20, 30 years because they owed like two or three dollars or a hundred or two hundred dollars in property taxes. Can you imagine someone snatching your brownstone and brownstone in Harlem because you owed a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars in taxes that you that you weren't aware of? <clears throat> or even if you couldn't afford. Had I known that some of those people, I mean, I, I could have helped them to keep their property for 100 And do you know how much those brownstones are worth now, especially with gentrification? But anyway, 
again, you know, talking about the malice, intent, you know, greed, and, excuse me, now we're going to talk about, we're going to switch over a little bit because I know we want to talk about this. Um, We want to talk about what's happening over in the Gaza Strip and the response or lack thereof in the secular community. So I'm going to let Raina run with this first. Um, okay. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure where to start. I mean, unless you've been um, living in a cave for the last, you know, month or two, you know, or really for the last, you know, 60 years, you know what I mean? You, um, you, you, you should be aware that, um, that the, that Israel and um, Palestine are, you know, at war. Um, and, um, and and in this latest conflict, you know, all of, all of the evidence points to Israel provoking this latest um this latest war that's going on um in the Gaza Strip. And um you know, there's a huge humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Um you know, Gaza is is a city, you know, it's it's very it's a, you know, it's not even really that large of a city. I mean, in some parts the city is only like I think four kilometers in diameter, you know, in some parts, and that's like at its narrowest. And then um, in some areas, there's a buffer zone that Israel has created where people are not supposed to be, of um, of three kilometers or so. I think is what they said. So depending upon where you are, you know, you're squeezed into you know very very tight areas of the city, and of course they're bombing you know, a lot of the, um, you know, the, the so-called safe places. There there are no safe places in Gaza right now. Um, you know, and there's been over 1,300 casualties. I don't know what number we're up to at this point, um, probably closer to 1,400, 1,500 casualties. Um, and I think there's maybe been 12 or 13 or so people killed, um, far less than 1,300 <laughs> on the Israeli side. And um, unfortunately, we have some people in the atheist community who, um, uh, well, I'll say we have some people in the atheist community who, um, you know, for reasons that I believe are related to Islamophobia, are unable to, um, you know, to be objective at all, you know, or um, or to come to conclusions about this conflict that are based on sound reason and not based on, you know, reasons of just hating, um, you know, people who identify as Muslim or people who might, you know, be thought of as Muslim because not all Palestinians are Muslim, you know, not all, not all Palestinians practice Islam. There are Palestinian Jews, there are Palestinian Christians. Um, But of course, you know, in our in our in our very simplistic you know like our our overly simplistic ways that we think think sometimes we think Palestinians and we think you know Muslims but regardless as to whether they're Muslims or Christians or you know agnostics or Jews these are human beings and um exactly. and they deserve to live in 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 a place that that isn't in you know basically an open air prison um they deserve to live without the threat of violence. Um, they they deserve to be recognized um, in the national community. They, they should be able to make choices about their you know their ability to trade and and what have you. 
Um, but unfortunately, that has not been the case. And so there's um, there's a number of really good sources um, that you can read. I posted a few of them um, on Kim's wall, and I guess we can repost them. Um, there was a really good article um, written by, I believe his last name is Siegelman. Um, he was um, he was the former head of of two um, organizations in this country um, that are you know prominent organizations for um, Jewish and Israeli Ameri- or yeah Jewish and Israeli Americans, and um, he wrote about how you know the Israeli government provoked this war. Um, there's also some really good um, information out there that's been um, written and published by David Sheehan. In fact, this morning on Twitter, I noticed that David Sheehan had posted a picture. Um, it was a comparison of two signs, a sign that was held by a protester last night at a rally, um, at a at a pro-Israeli um, you know, occupation rally, um, and... I can read it. Hold on one second. Um, basically, it was comparing a, a Nazi sign um, that said, one people, one state, one leader, um, to a sign that was held last night with basically the same words in Hebrew. Um, and, if you, and if you know anything about, um, you know, not just the Palestinian situation and um in, in you know in Gaza in the West Bank and uh, in the state of Israel um, you sh- you know and you know something about the um, situation with African asylum seekers um, their situation is not much better um, African asylum seekers are uh, are treated um, well they're not citizens of course but they're they're not even treated like human beings they're um, they're actually pushed into concentration camps. Um, some of which are are larger than some of the largest prisons in the world, you know. Um, they've, you know, uh, African asylum seekers are often beaten. They're discriminated discriminated against in terms of housing. They're um, in employment. They're given, you know, because there there are no protections for them. You know, people can pay them, um, you know, obscenely low wages, and um, you know, people aren't allowed to, you know, to rent to them. Just like Palestinians, there there are there are um, some of the rabbis um, have actually written edicts that you know um, no Jewish citizen is to rent to um, anyone but a Jew, um, and so you know the the situation in in Israel is pretty horrendous, and um, there's really just no defense for it. You know, not to say that you know that that makes me a fan of Hamas or you know. Um, or, or some of the things that Hamas is for, but I mean, I don't see how anyone who's reasonable can expect Palestinians to live under occupation as they have for as long as they have and not want to fight back. So that's just my, you know, my little spiel. But well, I, I mean, I'm looking at the situation like this. If if you're a, a secularist or if you're a humanist or an atheist and you're going into the situation or making judgments against Palestine based on Islam, Islam, then you're not a very good, you're not a very good humanist, secularist, or an atheist. You're not a very good, you're not very good at it. You should try something different because your way's not working. Because if you can't, I mean, I'm just going by pure numbers. 
All right. I don't care if they say if if the news media wants to call it a conflict or if they want to call it a war or whatever they want to call it. When one side is suffering casualties and, and fatalities in the in the thousands, because yes, you're right, we're nearing fourteen hundred dead and four hundred of that being children, and the other side is a first of all not even barely in the double digits and the citizens of the other side are able to watch in entertainment as the other city gets bombed, then that's a slaughter. That's what you got. That's slaughter. It's not even, It's. I mean, come on, man. That's like the Chicago Bulls playing the Washington Generals. I mean, it's a blowout. You can't even play it like it's, it's even, you can't play false equivalency with the situation. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, you have to, you, you, you literally do have to step back and look at the humanity of the situation. Gaza is without infrastructure at this point. It doesn't have power. They blew up their hospitals have been blown up. So you can't even make the, the Hamas argument. And anybody who's saying, look, man, maybe you guys ought to stop, it's not, it's not because you don't like Jews or you don't like It's not even an argument about religion. So I wouldn't understand. Like I, I've seen, I've read Sam Harris make an argument. About, well, I would agree you know, that I, I would disagree that it's not an argument about that. This has nothing to do with religion. This is a a very particular type of religious stance, which is Zionism. That, in, in that respect, yes, yes, no, no. In in that respect, yes, yeah. I agree. It is, but this yeah. is a flat out land grab. Right. It's a land grab, and, it, it, and you can't you can't fall back on. And it, it's stunned, I'm stunned by it when when I do see atheists or humanists jump on it, jump on the side of, well, it should be happening because these guys are terrorists. Well, right. okay, but who's make, who did you ever see make the argument for Hamas? Even if I'm against the policies of Israel, I would but, never But here's my thing, Hamas. though. Here's my thing, though. Like, okay, we call Hamas terrorists. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. not saying that right. nothing that that there's nothing that they've done that doesn't qualify as terrorism. So I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to run back and say, Oh, Reina says that Hamas is not terrorist. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what is but there is nothing but there is nothing that Hamas is doing right now that the ANC didn't do. That there is nothing that Hamas exactly. is doing right now that you know that the Black Panthers weren't accused of doing. Not you know, exactly. let's not talk about what they actually did. You know what I mean? But there is exactly. nothing that I mean, Hamas is doing right now that the early Zionists who who fought for the state of Israel are not doing right now. So like so for exactly. me, so for me, it's like we have to think about um, the dynamics of power. And what the mm-hmm. Palestinians have versus what the Israelis have, because there's a real balance, a, a really a real issue of balance here. You know, we're talking about people who have, you know, um, you know, and they've talked about this several times on on the news, like how inaccurate and imprecise the weapons that Hamas has are versus the very the very specific you know, um, bombing that you know Israel has engaged in. They've been bombing hospitals. You know what I mean? There are some yeah. real there are some real indications that Israel is guilty of several war crimes. And they've been using yeah. weapons, and they and there's evidence that they've been using weapons that are clearly illegal in in terms of international conflict and what you can use. The types of weapons that they've used, for example, or the evidence of weapons that they've used like flechettes 
Like they, these are these are bombs that basically have you know um, little pieces of shrapnel or you know darts or what have you within them. You know there there's evidence of yeah. bodies that have basically been shredded, like shredded, like they're in pieces, not because of of, of an explosion, but because embedded within them or, or or having gone through them are these pieces of metal that have basically right. torn flesh from bone. So you have to, you know, we have to be realistic about this situation. You know, terrorists are not just, you know, bands of, you know, uh, of people who are acting outside of some sort of governmental structure. The United States is, it has engaged in terrorism. You know, the, the United yeah. Kingdom has engaged in terrorism. You know, pretty much any powerful country has in, has engaged in terrorism of some sort. The United States is engaged not only in terrorism overseas, but terrorism here on its own soil, you know, against its own yeah. citizens. So let's, you know, I just, I don't like just throwing that word around like that's supposed to mean something. Exactly. Like, you know. Well, no. no you're yeah. absolutely right. And, and, and also, too, it's, in this discussion and, and, and at this point, and I, I'm glad that there is a that there's social media, and I'm glad that through social media and through the Internet we do have access to what I like to call the other side of the story. Um, right. I, for the last 50 years, I'm probably it's, it's changed somewhat in the last 10 years. Um, there's only been a one-sided, and which is probably why you do hear people when they do speak of Hamas, and I've been guilty of it myself, where, where they'll just use the word terrorism in regards to it because we only been getting one side of the story, right. um, and I, I've seen recently like several several uh, independent journalists that have been featured on MSNBC, CNN, Fox, and everything have have taken the media to task for that because you're painting. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Well, Israel has a high ground because when people are dying a hundred to year, it's a hundred to one. It's a hundred to one. I mean, what, what's that? I mean, it's, it's when you realize the death toll, the casualty toll is about a hundred to one. You can't even make it. You can't. So you don't. The but, moral but even before we get to the to the casualties, you know what I mean? That have happened in the yeah. latest conflict. There's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's the there are the statements that have been made by Israeli government officials themselves. You know, things that are mm -hmm. tantamount to um, endorsing genocide. You know what I mean? Right. Calling, calling, right. you know, it, calling Palestinian, you know, mothers and children snakes. You know, um, talking about putting, yeah. t talking about putting the Palestinians on a diet. Basically, there's such restriction of food and and imports into Palestine um, that there, mm -hmm. there there actually was um, an, an investigation to find out precisely how many calories you know, would be necessary to sustain the population of Gaza without there being exactly. massive starvation. You know what I mean? This is the type of thing that, that has been that the Israeli government's been engaged in. And I and I, I'm sorry, I, did, I I have to say this. Like I know I'm uh, you know, it's it's not just the Israeli government. The Israeli government is also mm -hmm. operating with, with the support of a lot of Israelis who are very racist, um, you know, in favor of genocidal policies. Um, and what have you. I mean, there's been, you know, in 2012, there was a, you know, there was a, a, a rally where, um, you know, African asylum seekers were, were referred to as cancer. And someone yeah. said that we need to cut, cut it out. And that night, several, you know, um, you know, African asylum seekers were attacked 
and beaten. People were pulled off of buses, you know, so yeah. and beaten in well, the streets. I mean, so this is so this is not like this is not just about like you know something that Benjamin Netanyahu might see. These are like the views of people within the state of Israel, just average ordinary citizens, you know. Exactly, and which is why, like I said, you can't claim the moral high ground. No. And again, thankfully, thankfully, you know, I mean, of course, and the other way you can't claim the moral high ground, you are you are getting you're the largest beneficiary of foreign military aid on the planet. So, of U.S. foreign military aid on the planet, you can't act like this is a. I mean, it's like you've got you've literally got a nuclear you got nuclear weapons, and you're talking about guys who's attacked pretty much equal up to getting fired at with slingshots. Right. Okay, I'm not it's not to say that nothing, that nothing has been known on that side is wrong, but you have a defense shield. When you start talking in terms of Star Wars, you know, like, yeah, well they they've got rockets. You've got a defense shield. All right, that's what they talk, that's the thing type of things people say when you're yeah, building a Yeah, it's not exactly the best the best uh, <laughs> the best thing either. And they're actually provide uh, you know, and we're and you know, there's actually people talking about sending more money to add to this defense shield, which really is a, a massive um, is a massive sinkhole for money. But I mean, I think we just have to be you know, realistic when we're talking about who we're dealing with and who we're supporting when we're sending money to Israel. And, you know, um, there's an article here that I have, you know, where um, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, Netanyahu, sorry, um, is talking about, um, is talking about uh, that the occupation will never end. The occupation will last forever. Um he said, he said, I think the Israeli people understand now that what I always say, there cannot be a situation under any agreement in which we relinquish security control of the west, of the territory west of the River Jordan. So they have no intention of, of ever letting this territory be self-governing um, or under any other, anyone else's control. Yeah. And we're going to give them money. That's it. our country is going to give them money. And and, and I mean sense. basically, I mean basically, Noam Chomsky has written about this, and he's talked about how you know these conflicts they happen. You know, pure. You know, is it's a it's a a cycle. You know, where you know, as, I mean, if you really notice, it's, it's something close to every two years. We're almost we're in the same place. You know, um, as yeah. of late, and you know they they call it. Um, you know, Noam Chomsky um, has written that they that they call it um, mowing the lawn um, within Israel. Mm-hmm. You know that that they're basically um, reducing the population or um, bombing them. You know, to the point where they're you know they're basically scared. You know, they're scared into um, into accepting whatever you know um, terms Israel sets. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as, as the point was raised before, you know, at the beginning of the discussion, like, uh, to, to hear, like I said, I've, I've seen, and I, I think the last prominent, I guess, atheist person I read was, or I saw was, like, Sam Harrison. You know, when he was alive, I'd read Christopher Hitchens, and his, a lot of his viewpoints on it was like, you know, that's kind of why, as a black person, a black secularist, I kind of stay away from a lot of, because... 
at the end, when when all is said and done, and when when issues like this get raised, and you guys start talking, you start sounding there's that same colonialist, imperialist talk that got us put on post. Like, yeah, I'm not, I don't believe in God, and I'm a I'm an atheist, but that's where the that's where the the that's where me and you end. Well, right. anything that relates to us, and because that colonialist talk, that imperialist talk starts to bubble up, you know. Your, 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 your skin ain't like mine or your story ain't like mine, so I don't have to respect your rights the same way. And I think that, that that's kind of sad. And it, it kind of goes back to how I feel about a lot of them. Like when sometimes when I couldn't even watch Bill Maher for the past month. Now, yeah. I, I normally watch him. I don't, always, I don't always agree with everything that Bill says, but just this time around when he was talking about Israel and when he was discussing he only had he only got it right once. Where he was saying that, hey, maybe we should stop with them giving giving Israel such all the military aid and then backing them so much, so willing, you know, so willingly backing them. That's the only time I agree with him. But for the past month and the past couple of episodes of the show, he's been going in hard about how they just because of his dislike of Muslims and and in in, in truth, his his latent dislike of brown people. Right. It, 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 whenever you down and you listen to him. I've listened. I've read up on, you know, I read Sam Harris most recently, but Christopher Hitchens and Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not just it's, it's not like just with him though. It's 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 a it's a global problem. I mean, a lot of a lot of this this Islamophobia, like you said, is driven by dislike of brown people. And within Israel, there actually are people, who, um, you know, people who speak out against, um, you know, the Israeli government policies against Palestinians and African asylum seekers, they're often slut-shamed. You know, people will hold up mm-hmm. signs that say, you know, Israeli women for Israeli men. So what their real fear is is miscegenation. And what's, and what's really interesting about that even is that the law in Israel is that you can't, you know, is, is basically against mixed marriages. You can't be a Jewish citizen married to a Christian in the state of Israel. You can't get well. You can't exactly. get married in Israel. Put it like that. Right. You know. You can come married, but don't try to get married here. Right. Don't and, get married. And, don't and try to get married all, there. Yeah. Exactly. So. And I'm sorry for me and 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 living in and living in the United States, especially in the last couple of months, where I can watch armed white people walk into Target and Walmart and no one does anything. They can go to TGI Fridays and no one says anything. They can stand on street corners with weapons, rifles, guns, all those things and and proclaim against government tyranny and rights they're not losing. And they can mm-hmm. do it out of hitch uh, where unarmed black people, pregnant mothers, grandmothers can get dragged into the street, dehumanized, beaten, Murdered, shot to death. Um, it's kind of hard for me to come down. I, it's really hard, and I'm just saying maybe maybe that biases me a little bit. But it comes down. It, it, it makes it hard for me to come down on the side of any kind of uh, uh, sympathy for for Israel in this in this situation because I'm seeing it executed. What you guys are trying, what you guys have done in your country, they're trying to do here. And I see it. So when somebody's crying out in, 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 the, in the streets of Gaza, like, you know, they shot my son, they killed my daughter, 
Jules on arms. I'm thinking about Renisha McBride. I'm thinking about Trayvon Martin. I'm thinking right. about Eric Garner. Right, and it's the I'm same dehumanizing language. It's the people. same dehumanizing language. You know, they're calling people exactly. cancer. Okay. They're calling them scum. You know, there was a lot of people, um, a lot of the... Um, like interviews that I've seen of people on the street in Israel, they say that all the Africans are just, um, you know, they're rapists and they're thugs right. and all they want to do is kill Jews. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it's just, it's the same type of fear and dehumanizing language that's used here with respect to people of color. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rights being taken away. And again, I see it here. So when I start, you can tell me what you want. Like the lady that just got chosen to be Wonder Woman, she's got it on her page. Oh, yes, she's I did see that. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that that was the last straw for me. I was like, I, first of all, I just don't think she's a very good actress. But when I saw that, I was like, that movie, I don't care how good it is. I won't be, it won't be getting the scent of my money. I won't be supporting it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Because, again, I'm seeing it in our country. It started off our conversation. And those beliefs the- are not are not minority beliefs. In Israel, those are those are majority beliefs. Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm from Brooklyn, Crown Heights riots, Crown Heights riots. I remember Gavin Cato. I remember what happened to him. He was hit by a car, and the the ambulance in that neighborhood. I'm from that neighborhood. I saw. I mean, I wasn't there, but we know how it works. They have their own hospital in that neighborhood. In the Hasidic neighborhood, they have their own hospital. Gavin Cato was left to die. Right. while the people who struck him were taken for medical care. I mean, that's just a basic hippo. They, they violated the Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. So you're saying that little boy that was killed, he would have been a grown man by now. But right. he, was, he was left to die on that street. Right. And they, they, that was where we learned. When I, as a young man, started to realize, hey, the, the rules are not the same for me and you. They aren't. And and so when I'm seeing what's unfolding in 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 Gaza, and right. I see the behavior of Israel, in fact, and again, do you see any brown faces in Israel saying? Any, not to say that it would make it right, but then yeah. we would have kind of a it would be a, a more complex issue. But I'm looking at everybody who's saying everything, who has anything to say about Gaza or about the Palestinians. And it's all white faces from Netanyahu down. Every politician, it's all white faces, and they all have the same thing to say: where we're all animals. I mean, how is that any different than what? Yeah, and the worst uh, part uh, about it is, is this narrative that they've created for themselves. Like they're created, like they're they're engaged in this ethical war, you know, and that mm-hmm. you know that, and there's been and there's all this talk about like possible peace prize for for Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, if they really do that, you know, what little credibility the the Nobel Peace Prize has left is gone. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, I- it's, it's I mean, on that, <laughs> like seriously, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, and you know, I find it interesting to... that Holocaust. I was just going to say, and I find it interesting that even some Holocaust survivors are telling Israel to stop. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, David Sheehan is an is an Israeli journalist. Like he lives in the state of Israel. He's talked about you know living in Tel Aviv. He's also talked about in living um, living in I think it's Donetsk or whatever. And um, he was talking about, um, you know, the the difference, um, you know, he lived in Tel Aviv and he was saying, you know, he left Tel Aviv because he thought that Tel Aviv was, you know, um, you know, probably one of the most racist places to live, right? 
and he was tired of seeing, you know, all of these signs about, you know, Palestinians and how, like, you know, low they are and all this other stuff, right? So he moves to this other city, and um, actually what's interesting about this other city is that, um, for those of you that don't know, um, a lot of black people who um, joined up with um, the Hebrew Israelites in, like, the 1970s moved to um, Israel, and they settled in this town. And so there's been, you know, a group of, you know, um, American expats, you know, expats, you know, sort of living within Israel, and um, and they're right. and they're Jewish, and they're and and they're they practice obviously um, black nationalist form of of Judaism. But um, he was saying that it, what was inter- what was cool about it was is that you know to actually see black people who didn't have their heads down and you know didn't you know could have their heads you know held high, and there's quite a few of them there. So it's it's not as bad as Tel Aviv, but he was saying the racism is still there. Like you would think that people would have had enough time to get used to these black Americans or these black, well, really they're Israelis now because they've been living there long enough, but you know, use the black, <laughs> black, you know, um, Jews living in the city. But he says he comes out to graffiti that says, um, you know, death to niggers, niggers go home, you know? I mean, there, there's a reason why those Holocaust survivors are speaking out against it. There's a reason why somebody as old as Norm Chomsky is speaking out about it. Can you know, barely hear you, Carl. I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Hello? A little bit. Yeah, we can hear you. A little better? All right, I'm sorry. I'm on, a, I'm on my headphones. Um, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why Holocaust survivors are like, whoa, slow down, step back. Because they've heard that type of rhetoric used against them, they know what the end what the end result of that is. But let's but let's be but let's be truthful to... about it, Carl. Not all of them are speaking out. You know, I, oh I, no, I, no 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 yeah. no no not not by any not by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. A lot those there are a lot of there are a lot of Holocaust survivors who are pro, you know, the Israeli occupation and um and yeah. and also that's, against that's, African that's, asylum seekers as well. So. Oh. Listen, I was already off the bandwagon. Where I already, I was on the fence for most of my life in this situation. Right. But what totally, what what totally put me cemented my position was the treatment of the uh, African, you know, African asylum seekers. I was like, oh, that's how y'all do it. All right. Well, hey man, whatever your story is, I'm not on your side. Right. Doesn't mean I'm supporting. I'm not. I, doesn't mean I'm supporting any kind of terrorist action against you or any kind of action that causes death. But I'm not on your side in this discussion because right. that means if I was there and you didn't know I was uh, an African asylum seeker, you would treat me just the same anyway. Well, I, I can't do nothing for you, man. You know what? You Actually, not- Carl, you just reminded me of something. I posted an article on Kim's Wall. I think maybe several weeks ago. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why that happened. But, no, there was um, okay. just an article that I posted on Kim's Wall <laughs> a couple weeks ago that was about a group of um, black journalists and artists that had gone over to um, Israel, and they were talking about um, – actually, they were really going to Palestine, or that was their real goal was to see Palestine. Um, but, of course, you know, when you go, you can't say that, like, you want anything to do with the Palestinian cause if you want to actually get into Israel and Palestine. You have to 
you know, say that you're there to, you know, visit the sites, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but they were talking about how they, they were going around, and um, they actually visited some of the, um, some of the smaller towns um, within Israel that are close to the border, of, uh, to the Palestinian border. And um, they um, were talking about how, you know, the light-skinned blacks in particular, you know, people were looking at them, and they were, like, looking to see if maybe they were Palestinian and asking who their fathers were you know, to make sure that they weren't Palestinian. And, um, you know, they they visited with, um, you know, some former members of the um, Israeli military who were talking about how, you know, they were pro-occupation and then they, you know, they saw for themselves what was going on and, you know, what sorts of unethical things were being done. And, and though they may feel that, you know, Israel, you know, should be, um, you know, should be the, the major power within that, state. They don't necessarily believe in a two-state solution. They believe that the treatment of Palestinians has been, you know, wrong, you know. And so um, they they went to, a, I think, to visit this one area where this man was telling a story about, um, about something he had done when he was in the military, and they were close to this, this smaller town. And um, they said that, um, that some of the people from the town, they kept you know, going up and down the road and looking at them, you know, and, like, menacingly. And, like, the guy was like, we better get out of here because they will kill us if they think we're Palestinian. You know? Just for being Palestinian, not, like, for actually doing anything. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, what does that sound like? That sounds like the Freedom Riders. Doesn't it? Sound like America, don't it? It sounds like okay. freedom rights. That sounds like that sounds like certain places even today where black people sound like you know, a lot of places. Huh? Afraid I'm to in go. Florida, you can't. Yeah, hey, I'm in Florida. There's certain parts of this nation. There's certain parts of here that I don't go to at night. I'm just yeah. saying, I'm not Sundown even joking. Right. Yeah. Like yo, I, I mean, I'm not even playing. I mean, my next block over got a big old Confederate flag flying outside his house. I'm like, all right. I mean, right. I ain't necessarily scared of you, but at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm I mean, right there with you. <laughs> and, and it goes back It goes back to what I'm saying. It's like, for, for me personally, as a black man who knows what it's like to be hated and feared, and it doesn't have anything really to do with me, um, it, it's hard for me to sympathize with what Israel is going through. I just can't. I mean, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever credibility as being the descendants of of of, of people who may have experienced the Holocaust or, or 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 living under the Nazis, all that, whatever goodwill that was there, evaporated has has evaporated for me because now you're starting to sound like them, and that's what bothers right. me. I mean, is this starting a, to? They've beat them. They have yeah. been them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Truthfully speaking, I took it with a grain of salt. But again, remember, as as I mean, a lot of a lot of what we know. This is sixty years, and honestly, I wasn't there for twenty of that. So there's so there's so there's a lot that I had to learn over time, and that shaped my own point of view. But for the most part, and certainly before social media and the internet. You only got one side of the story, and remember, everybody, 
all of our guys came into the story as the survivors of Schindler's List, basically. So it took time for us to really start saying, hey, wait a minute, there's two sides of the story, and we really need to start But you know what, that's something else that we also need to talk about, too. Like, I mean, even with the Holocaust, I mean, you know, obviously, obviously, you know, Jews were targeted, you know, as as the biggest group, right, as the most problematic group in in terms of German, you know, Nazi politics, right? Those, they were the main target. No one denies that. You know what I mean? But even in that story, in, in that narrative, it erases the other groups that were targeted, you know? Um, you know, blacks were targeted both in Germany and outside of Germany. You know what I mean? Um, you know, gypsies uh, were... Sorry? You know what I'm saying? The blacks that went to go fight for those people were targeted. You know what I mean? Ask yeah, about the way it's 11. Right, but I'm not talking about soldiers. I mean, that's that's a different that's a different story altogether. I mean, no, I'm not talking about native native black Germans. I know right, you're talking right. About. Germans yeah. were targeted. Also, Germans outside of outside of Germany in in German controlled Africa. You know what I mean? German controlled African nations. Right. You know, um, there were also gypsies that were targeted. There were also you know gays and lesbians. You know. Um, you know, people who were deemed mentally unfit or mentally ill, you know, were targeted. So, I mean, um, you know, there and there and there's some there's there's some issues with that even going on. I mean, not completely. I mean, but in terms, there's some parallels that one can draw. You know what I mean between the way that, um, you know, German Ger- Germany and and the Nazi Party became obsessed. You know what I mean with race, right? And the way in which Israel is obsessed with having a homogeneous Jewish population, I think there are parallels that can be drawn there, personally. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's I you you can't. That's why many of us. That's why many people are are saying aren't on the side, aren't coming down on the side. There are a lot of people, of course, that are going to just. I guess knee-jerkingly support Israel and the tactics of Israel in this conflict, but there's a lot of folks coming out now saying, "Do you know who you sound like right now?" And that's mm-hmm. basically what most—that's basically what a lot of people are are asking right now of Israel. It's not like yo, your Hamas is right and y'all are wrong. It's us saying, it's it's me saying, it's anybody saying, looking at this objectively and saying, "Do you know who you sound like right now?" Right. You can't ask me to support you in this. It's like this. It's, yeah, a lady might be a, I mean, it's kind of like asking people to defend folks like Ike Turner and Chris Brown. It's hard to do because do you know what you sound like when you're trying to justify what you did or what right. you're doing? Right, and it's like, you, right, but, uh, but at, the, at the very end of the day, if you if you accept nothing else, you know what I mean, we can just talk mm-hmm. about disproportionate violence. You know what I mean? Right. If if I slap you, it's not okay for you to, to you know, to just blast me. You know what I mean? It's not that's disproportionate exactly. violence. You know what I mean? It's, it's, if it's I throw a if I throw a rock at you, that's not licensed for you to just nuke my city. You know what I mean? It's just not exactly. It's, it's not okay. It's it's that that's what's got the world pumping their brakes. That's why that's why a lot of folks are stepping back. Even yeah. though, again, there's just there's deeply entrenched support for Israel, there's deeply entrenched support for their tactics, 
there's a there's a larger there's there's a growing number of people that are going. Wait a minute, these numbers don't sound right. Right. It's disproportionate. There's right. a whole bunch of you know you can't you can't paint yourself as the persecuted one when you oh they're persecuting us really you're getting funded from the largest military power in existence. You right. have their weapons. You got nuclear weapons. You every time they fire something at you. Your scientifically, you know, advanced defense shield stops it or deflects it or whatever or can target it. Yours are blowing up cities and killing people. It's mm-hmm. the, I mean, the, 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 the and not just and not just and not just people like not just like people who might be who may or may not be, you know, uh, you know, acting aggressively towards Israel, but people who are paralyzed. You know what I mean? People who yeah. are disabled. You know, they blew up yeah. one of the rehabilita- uh, rehabilitation hospitals in in Gaza. They they say that they gave them three minutes to evacuate. Well, how the hell are you supposed to evacuate a hospital for rehabil for for uh, rehabilitative therapy, right? In three exactly, minutes. Exactly to where? Where would you right, exactly. To? Go where? But the other, but it's like it's just it's just ridiculous. And then and then to know that the Israeli government knew that that hospital knew what that hospital was has always known that that what that hospital mm-hmm. has been. And and then to still okay. only give them three minutes to evacuate, you know. I mean, to this date, every every rationalization Israel has used for this conflict has been thoroughly debunked. The three yeah. students were not killed by a Palestinian. Uh, well, they were they whatever, were killed by Palestinians, but not by Hamas. They they were saying it was yeah, Hamas. Exactly. They were killed by they yeah, were killed so, by Palestinians, but they that they had nothing to do with Hamas. Hamas had nothing to do with the with the killing. But they were they were drumming um, but they were drumming up that you know that Hamas had had exactly. something to do with these three kids being killed, exactly. which was which was one of the reasons that they gave for and going every, in. So. And every single one of their reasons. And, and listen, there's no one that has been able to this point to justify the whole human shield argument. They use that. It gets trotted out. And here's the thing. Even if Palestinians fired rockets at you that did not hit their targets from behind human shields, right. does it make it better that you kill the human shield in addition to the person you were aiming at? That does not sound. That doesn't justify anything. It doesn't. I right. mean, it's like blowing up Chicago because of one gang member, and he was hiding behind a building. It right. doesn't make sense. It does. It's, it's like you said. It's exactly disproportionate. If right. someone slaps you in the face, I wouldn't say anything if you slap them back. But if someone slaps you in the face and you murder his mother and burn their house to the ground, then that's disproportionate. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. There's no moral ground to be had here. But but what bothers me the most is that there are people who Israel is, A, first trying to claim it, and then there's people who try to build it up under them. You know? Right. Like, they're the only one like this in their region. Sure. Okay, make that argument. But then again, too, they're the only one in the region that is getting major military and financial backing from a superpower. Right. And, and to everybody, and to people who are believers, who believe that, you know, that Jewish people are God's chosen people, tell me how this is godly. You know what I mean? Tell yeah. me. 
You know what I mean? Tell me. Well, That's all I, I want. Well, you and, I you and I know that, in honesty, if this is real and it was supposed to be God's will, Actually, it is, because that's how they talk. You know, the I mean, book, yeah, I mean, that's one book. version of it. That's one version of it. Yeah. Not yeah. everyone, not everyone oh, believes in that version. And there are people out there are people out here who are still on the fence who would otherwise not believe that this type of violence was okay. You know what I mean? Who are, who are in favor of Israel based solely on the fact that this is, you know, these are the people you know, they, they believe that these are the people that the Bible is talking about in the in the first part. So that's all. I'm sorry, Kim. You guys haven't been talking, so right now. Oh, now I'm just saying. You know, it was a great conversation because I mean, you hit on a lot of the points that you know I would have made. That's why I brought up about the Holocaust victims. I mean, you have the president of Bolivia that's telling Israel to, you know, back it up. And you have all of these people, you know, coming out with this narrative that Israel has the right to defend themselves, including President Obama. And I'm just not understanding. I mean, they just sent them, you know, more money, more money. And, again, you know, even with what we're seeing in, you know, the secular community is, you know, I believe a lot of it is based on Islamophobia. I mean, and it's not being addressed. It's being, you know, pretty much kind of shoved under the rug. That's why I think it's important that we have shows like this and we bring this information in you know, out to the forefront and are able to give our particular perspectives on this situation because, um, you know, I've seen some debates. I've seen some people um, accusing other people of being Zionist atheists. I mean, I've just seen so much happening around this particular issue, but it all boils down to, like you both stated earlier, you know, someone hits you with a rock, and then you start firing missiles at them, you know, there is there is no balance there, none whatsoever. But, again, you know, as Carl was saying earlier, and, you know, and Raina and I have talked about this on the phone, it's about population control. Right. And so, you know, they're basically, you know, as he said, mowing the lawn and, you know, killing off enough people to kind of balance things out. You know, what I found interesting was there was some Israeli, some Israeli woman on some interview, and she was saying that they should kill all of the Palestinian women. Right. So that was a member of the Knesset. That was a member of the Knesset. Mm-hmm. And she actually had posted that on her Facebook page and got something like 5,000 likes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I saw that. Yeah. I I, I would just like to say, honestly, uh, you know, we've used the term a lot, and but I'm I'm just uh, I know I said it before and earlier in the conversation, but what I'm seeing is, is I don't I don't see what this is as a as Islamophobia. I don't even see it that that way when atheist folks say it or the Zionist humanists, whatever they want to say. I don't see it as Islamophobia because when people say Islamophobia or or when they when somebody talks about radical Islam. They're not talking about Serbs in the Caucasus Mountains, or they're not talking about Croatians. They're not talking about all the, you know, the white people who also happen to be Muslim. This is racism in my mind. It's fair of a black planet. It's fair of a brown planet. They talk that they, they, when when they when we're talking about this issue, this is what they're seeing. 
I'm just being real. Whenever somebody, the dudes on Fox News, they're not talking about, you know, Muslims in Europe, you know, that mm-hmm. aren't black or brown people. They're not. They're not. Whenever, whenever we're, whenever but we're see, having I think they even. I think a lot of them also don't like that that notion either, because it's also an issue of yeah. culture, and it's also about what yeah, sorts yeah, yeah. Of, what sorts of, of of beliefs and values you um exactly. you, know, you internalize. So that, if that you if you're if you know you know we know we know about Christianity and Christianity as it's practiced throughout most of the world is very yeah. is is very based on Western values. And um and those exactly. Western values lend themselves well to imperialistic, um you know endeavors, yeah. and um and also yeah. not and also to not questioning you know um you know things things like what we're seeing right now, you know um mm-hmm. you know so we just we just need to keep that in mind as well. So it's not just a matter of um you know the the race. It's also a, a fundamental questioning about. Um, our societies as, as they're organized and they're structured, you know, um, who has who has rights agree. and who doesn't, you know. So I don't necessarily agree, and I, I agree with you. I do agree yeah. with you in that sense. But you know, for 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 me personally, it, it always goes deeper because when that person, like the guy who, you know, we saw the meme where the guy tweeted about someone getting online and he's wearing a turban or a burqa and he gets nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever whoever that person is on that line in the airport. They're not nervous because of Islam. They're not nervous because of a turban or a burqa. They're nervous of the brown or black person who's in it. Right. That's 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 just me. That's just me because you can't tell. I mean, you, you, you it, it, that's not what they're afraid of because they're not scared of a of a of a Russian a Russian Muslim or a Serbian Muslim or a Croatian Muslim or any of those other people like Malcolm X when he discussed it when he went to his trip to Mecca he was like wow I didn't know that they had brown, blonde haired blue eyed Muslims but they mm-hmm. exist. But that's not who that's not who these folks are scared of. They're not scared of they when they show Palestinians, they don't show Palestinians who have no, to resemble Benjamin. No, I agree with you that, that that's not who they show. But I think in some ways the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslim is way scarier. In some in some yeah, sense. That, no, 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 no. I mean, not hey, I'm, for me. I'm not. No, I'm not saying for me at all. Like I don't find it scary. But I think in some ways the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslim is is in some ways a lot scarier to to some white people than the brown one. You know what I mean? Because there's 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 a fundamental there right, like it's like we grew up in it like especially if it's someone who came from suburbia, right? So we come yeah. from the same place, you know what I mean? What has in your mind changed you to you know, so radically that you no longer accept Yeah, it must be brainwashing. You know what I mean? The same things yeah. that, that I accept. You know what I mean? So I think yeah, I think it really just depends on context, and that it it changes depending upon the context. But I think um, but I think any I think all I'd of us on the line can agree that <laughs> can agree that you know in terms of actual terrorism, you know, it, within the United States, that we you know it, we'd be much more reasonable to be fearing of that blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know. Christian, you know, um, especially if they're Christian identity, you know, um, sort of advocate, um, you know, person, and we are of anyone who's brown, black, Muslim, you know, that's, non-Christian. That's I mean, you know, but that's it. it. It's all about the perception, and 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 personally, that's the problem. We we live in a, where the perception where if you can't tell me 
there, I mean, even in the hood, and I lived in the hood, I'm in Miami Gardens. I'm not even, I mean, I'm in the hood. So I can't even tell you that there are dudes who are walking around for a second. I don't care how goony this dude is. I don't care. He could be knee-deep in the game. He's not walking the streets with an AK-47 strapped to his back. It ain't gotten that serious yet. But, you know, a white person can and fully believes that's their right. And it's like, but they're not scared. It, 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 if anything, the reaction to the reaction to a white person walking around strapped with a firearm in the middle of a Target crowded Target store was mildly perturbed. That was the reaction. It was like, dude, you're being a jerk. You know, right. you're scaring my kid. It wasn't like if I walked in, they murdered a guy with a toy gun with an orange tip. There was no, right. I mean, so yeah, it. To me, the situation here and the situation there, it, we can, it, it boils down to ideology, and I agree with what you're saying. It is ideology, and it, 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 a lot of it's contextual, but again, if it's in a brown hand or if it has a black face, it's the end of the world as they know it, and right. the reaction, sadly, is expected. Right. Oh, man, there's so much going on in the world today, I tell you. I think I need a drink, y'all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. I, I'm hoping okay. they legalize weed. I just need and, and just a message <laughs> to the you. listeners at home. And just a message to the listeners at home. Don't go taking this stuff out of context. You know what we were talking about. You know what I mean? Let's not make this a matter about anti Semitism or anything like that. I don't want to hear anything about black freethinkers being, you know, anti you know, anti Semitic. Because clearly okay. there's a form of anti Semitism that's that's going on here that no one's talking about. And it's the anti Semitism that's aimed at, at at people who are are, you know, Muslim and um and and particularly the Palestinians. You know? So exactly. let's let's talk and about that. Is- Right, and it's very clear. We've made this clear over the years. We are anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-misogynist, anti-homophobic, anti-transphobic. We're we're against all of that, you know, but we have to call a spade a spade. And, you know, what's happening there is, you know, like we said, it's a land grab, and it's also population control, and it's it's unfortunate how all of this is coming to be. And what I find even more unfortunate about it is when I hear certain Christians saying that even though they don't agree with what Israel is doing, they have to support Israel because that's what the Bible said. That burns me up every time I hear them saying that. And I'm like, well, the Bible supported, you know, a number of other atrocities, like, you know, mm-hmm. slavery and right. the stoning of women and the stoning of your children and a number of other things. You know, do you support that? Well, no, that was the Old Testament. Oh, well, and so, was that, so was that chosen people stuff, too. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? If you read the Bible, know, right? <laughs> you <Right>. know. <laughs> So I just find it, you know, interesting, um, you know, I just hope that it's all resolved, you know, and, again, a lot of this is politics, you know. Girl, you know that stuff ain't going to be resolved anytime soon. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's not. I know. And the reason why the United States is supporting Israel is because we have political and military interests in that region. That is why. 
and economic. You can't forget the, you know, the economics of it as well. But we have an interest to be in that area. You know, they want to keep an eye on Jordan. They want to keep an eye on Syria. They want to keep an eye on, you know, a lot of those smaller countries over there. And, oh, one other thing, I may as well say this because, you know, every time we talk about this topic, I have to say this. There is no such thing as the Middle East as Northern Africa. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they are Africans. That's right. <laughs> That's true. I usually say Middle Eastern just so just so that I don't have to explain to folks, you know, for simplicity. But you're right. You know, you're right. That is nothing but North Africa. You are absolutely correct. So. That I mean, for real. I my thing is my biggest disappointment is seeing. Is, is our president, you know, again, I campaigned and voted for him um, twice, so, you know, I carry that, but just to see how he just parrots the same thing, you know, it's not even like you're going for a re-election again, bro. I mean, you can't even say, yo, maybe we should step back a little bit and try to discuss this diplomatically. You know, he just comes out and parrots the same, Israel has a right to defend itself. Yeah, if somebody attacks them, but not like this, bro. But the, see, the problem I mean, is, is like, but see, the problem on both sides, on on the Democratic side and the Republican side of the aisle, is there is a there is a fear in this country of of the uh, sort of okay, like okay, let's 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 start, let's go let's go back in time for a second. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we have the Anti Defamation League. Right, and the Anti Defamation League does really good work, and that's and this is not like necessarily a diss to them, but the Anti Defamation League is just an example of the sort of political capital that a lot of Jewish people have obtained within this country, and that's again I'm not dissing them, but there's a fear, you know what I mean, on speaking out on some of these issues for fear of being seen as anti-Semitic, whether one actually is or is not. You know what I mean? And so for 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 the Republicans and the Democrats, this is a this is a you know, this is a really explosive situation potentially. You know what I mean? You know, one doesn't necessarily want to um to necessarily support Israel one hundred percent, but they don't want to be seen as um you know, as being anti-Semitic. So, you know, you have to be very careful how you speak about out about these things within politics because it is very easy for one yeah. to be, you know, to be portrayed in a certain light. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I understand, I understand, but, you know, and it's my thing, Raina, saying Israel has the right to protect itself is such an empty, it's such a exactly. hollow term. Of course. That's what about it, it's a hollow term. Because it's like saying, yes, I'm in my house right now. Anybody that breaks into my door, you know, whatever they got coming, they got coming. They shouldn't have done that. And I understand that. Right. If this was that type of situation, I'm all for it. It would make total sense if, 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 if President Obama says that. But it's wrong for me to go out now on the streets and shoot people who potentially look like they look like they could potentially break into my house and then use the argument of I have the right to defend myself, which is what's happening right now. This is what's exactly. happening. If, 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 
if this was a one-sided, you know, and they were the and they did not have the superior firepower, absolutely. If it was if people were coming at Israel like this, then of course nobody in their right mind would be on any other side of this issue but theirs. Right. But that's not what's happening. You sufficiently defended yourself, but now you go now. It's like somebody trying to rob me. I shoot him, but then I drive to his neighborhood and start shooting at his neighbors too because I think that his neighbors act like him. Mm. That's what's exactly. happening. Right. Well, I just wanted I just wanted to highlight you know um, you know the, one of the organizations that I'm aware of or that's been speaking out against, um, you know, the Israeli occupation, and that is Jewish Voice for Peace. And I believe that they were the organization that took part in those, in those, um, in the two protests that I know of in New York City where people were arrested, um, and one of which would happened at, um, in a, at an Israeli nonprofit organization that actually sends um, supplies to Israeli troops. And they went into their offices and they read aloud all of the names of the Palestinians who'd been killed since this latest conflict began. And I think they had like something like nine people arrested. Um, so check out Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, they're on Twitter. Um, I think they're on Facebook, too. But um, but that's just one of the organizations that I know of. I don't know if you guys now, know of any oh, that you want to put out there. No, I was going to say what I would like to see, and I haven't done any, I haven't looked for it. I just thought of this a few minutes ago. I would love to see some interviews, current interviews now, with some of the original Palestinians that welcomed the Israelis into their country 60 years ago. I wonder what they have to say about what has happened, because they welcomed them, they nurtured them, just like the indigenous people did to the pilgrims. But, you know, they welcomed them, they nurtured them, they thought it was going to be, you know, an amicable, you know, type of relationship. I would just love, just out of curiosity, to see what some of them and some of their direct descendants have to say about, you know, what has happened in that region. I just think that would be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but check out some of these organizations that are speaking out, um, speaking speaking up for justice, and um, you know, trying to you know, trying to get some change. You know, um, and there's no there's a number of them out there. So just thought I'd put that out there. Okay. Okay. Well. You know, we're in overtime as it is right now, and I was going to mm-hmm. switch to something else, but I forgot. Well, see, that, that, this is what happens, you all. My memory can be just shot on some days. I did not write it down. I wanted to talk about something for kicks and giggles, um, and I don't remember what it was. I said I want to do a show on it, and I was like, may as well talk about it right now a little bit, but I don't remember what it is. See how that goes? Anyway, <laughs> um Guys, you know, there's so much just going on in that region. Um, and what I find interesting is when you do the contrast or the parallels between what's happening there, what's happening in this country, and, you know, what I find strikingly odd is what's happening with the Palestinians is pretty much the same thing that happened with the Jewish people in Germany. And mm-hmm. I don't see how they don't see it. 
I don't see how they don't see the parallels there. It's so, not that it's not that they it's not that they don't see it, it's that they don't want to. You know what I mean? Because yeah. because what it is is they don't want those people there. They want a homogeneous Jewish state, you know, of Israel or or at the very least a state where their power is unopposed and where, you know, Palestinians can be uh you know, can continue to be treated as second class citizens. You know? So right. And not right. even well, not even second class citizens is is just non entities really on their own land, you know. But you know, yeah, because I even posted an article a couple of weeks ago talking about Black Palestinians, right. and you know how they're kind of kept in the back, and you know a lot of people don't talk about that because again, people have to understand or remember or do some research. You know, there was an Arab slave trade too, and there mm-hmm. were quite a few slaves in that region also. So um, it was just really interesting. It's really complex what's happening over there. And, you know, I just, you know, my heart goes out to all of those people that have lost their lives or lost children or spouses or whomever, you know, because I just don't see the reason why they're over there and they're trying to, basically commit genocide on the Palestinian people. That's what it seems like to me, that they're trying to, you know, totally kill them off. And I'm trying to understand, you know, that's like me coming to your house to visit and refusing to leave. I just decide to become a squatter, and then I put you out your own house. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't enough room for everybody in this house, so you got to go, right? So, you know, how does that work? So it's just it's been most interesting, you know, and these are issues that are very important because it does have an effect on us, you know, in America. And it also, you know, it, it forces us to look at some of the issues that we have been overlooking or, you know, playing ostrich with. So, you know, we're getting there slowly but surely, but... Um, you know, we hit on a lot of things today. You know, we talked about, um, you know, sex trafficking. We talked about, you know, people declaring open season on people of color. And it's just, it's been outrageous. The whole thing is it's just absolutely outrageous. And, you know, when we were talking about the militarization of the police, You know, you're seeing more and more of that. You see them walking around with, you know, the bulletproof vests. They used to be on the inside. Now they're wearing them on the outside, walking around with high-powered automatic weapons. Um, You know, the helicopters, everybody has a helicopter now. And, you know, you wouldn't believe the technology. Don't forget about the drones. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So all of that is happening. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting. But you got to pay attention. And like I said, if nothing else, I want you to go and I want you to read that article, How Prisons Change the Balance of Power in America. That article will change your life. It should change your perspective in one respect or another or either, you know, enlighten you or inform you. Because a lot of people aren't aware of Leah. You know, I had someone say that on the thread. So we're here to challenge you to think and look for yourself, not convert you. We are trying to empower you. We read this information and we put it out there. We don't believe that we should charge people for me reading a book 
or reading some articles. Why should I charge you for that? Unfortunately, there are some people in this community that believe that, but that's a totally different story. But, you know, we want you to go out here. We want you to read. We want you to research. We want you to empower yourself. And all I ask of you in, in return is that you empower someone else. That's what I want you to give to me, that you help someone to help themselves. You empower, enlighten, and educate someone else and encourage them to do the same because this this information is a matter of life and death for us now. And for those of you out there, please get registered to vote. The midterm elections are right around the corner. We slipped up the last time, and you see what has happened, you know, President Obama couldn't even get, you know, a moratorium on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right right now if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, get out here and vote. Know your rights. And then also, um, one, one of the things that I've talked about, and, you know, when I do the Twitter chats on Thursdays, you know, I don't do them all the time, but, you know, for, I've been doing them the past couple of weeks. But, um Basically, for some of the services, you know, as far as social justice is concerned, and I'm switching back, you know, I was imploring to the atheist community, if you don't want to help anybody outside of the atheist or secular community and you want to help those on the inside of the community, well, you know, we have a shitload of lawyers in this community. Why aren't you helping those people in the states that can, ex-offenders that can get their voting rights back. They just have to write a letter. They have to be in good standing. They have to be employed. They had to have not got in trouble for a certain amount of years, and then they can have their voting rights reinstated. It's just a template letter. Where is it? I'm your average, you know, everyday American citizen. I know about this. I helped someone restore their voting rights with the information that I have. Where are the lawyers? Where are you, ESQ? Why aren't you helping them with that? Why aren't you helping some of the people in the atheist community that are about to lose their homes in foreclosure, giving them advice on that, and the bankers in this community? You have these professions. You have these skills. Why aren't you helping people? So even if you don't want to perform social justice for people outside of the community, do you just not give a shit about the people that's inside this community? Is that part of that libertarian value system that I just don't get? And for those of you that are out here listening, I want you to think about that. If they're not helping the people in this community, they, you know, I just don't understand how they're trying to change the face of of atheism, change the narrative. To me, I just see it as a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of high schoolers running around playing pranks, pissing everybody off, and going to their respective corners giggling and snickering. I have not seen a lot of progress. And I understand we're in our infancy, but, you know, life is very real, very, very real. And... You know, you can't unsee what, you, what you've seen. You can't unknow what you've known. And to be honest with you, it's easier to play like you're a Christian and go along and get along to get the benefits over on this side. 
but many of us have stood up on the courage of our convictions and have stated that we are no longer believers. But unfortunately, I'm not seeing, you know, a lot of improvements on this side. There's more to life than drinking, drugging, fucking, and partying. I'm sorry, it just is. And people are being hurt and lives are being destroyed. And if we are the ones that are here and we claim to be enlightened, we claim to be the beacon of light, we claim to be rational, we claim to be all these things, but we feel that all we have to do is put up billboards, you know, troll Christian blogs, troll Christian groups on Facebook, and we've done our job, you know, you know, send some money to erect a satanic, you know, um, um, statue next to the Ten Commandments? Come on now. We can do better than that. We got to do better than that. Anyway, so I say that to you. I want you all to think and live for yourself. It's not about conversion or anything like that. I'd like to thank Raina, Deborah, and Carl for calling in today. Excellent conversation. And we want you all to take this information and to process it and implement it in your lives and turn around and help someone else. That's what it's all about. So each one, teach one, help one. All right, you all. You all have a good Sunday, okay? Have a good one. All right, take, take care. care. Okay, bye-bye. Peace.